This morning, I am going to be talking to us about this idea that you see on the screen. Joshua 24:15 says, "As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord." And how many of you guys recently or 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 even in the last few years have heard someone say, "I'm not a very spiritual. I mean, I'm a very spiritual person, but I'm not very religious." Have you heard someone say that? When when they said that, were they saying it to you or were they just saying it and you overheard it? Anybody? Huh? They were saying it to you. How did you respond? Thank you, man. Or did you? Okay, if they said to you, I am a very spiritual person, but I am not very religious. How do you respond to that? Well, that, that's the thing that I've been wrestling with. That's exactly it. Because in my Christian worldview, I don't understand how you can separate spirituality and religion. Go ahead. Okay. They were put on a religion, and so that's, well, that's where a lot of the that I used to know was that, yeah, I'm not religious, but I'm a spiritual or I'm a Christian, but I'm not necessarily so, able. So what you're saying is that there was, a, back in the early days of the Jesus movement, and the Jesus people movement, um, in the 70s, they were saying things like, I am not a religious person, in other words... I don't follow just a perfunctory set of rules. I'm actually a genuine, authentic Christian. I'm a spiritual person. Right, and I don't okay. necessarily have to wear a label of being a Protestant and Nazarene or a Baptist in order to be in heaven. I see what you're saying. Okay. Um, I think, in my mind at least, I think whenever I think that someone is religious, I think they're sort of tied to an organized religion where someone who says they're spiritual, they may pray to Jesus, but they just don't really follow a church. Okay, so they're open to the idea and concept of God and spiritual things, but they don't necessarily tie themselves to any particular denomination or faith group. Okay. I think it's. I always think it's it's a cop out. It's a line on Life.com that people put because they don't want to proclaim who they're following, even if they don't even know who they're following. Okay. Whereas, you know, if I, when I um, was baptized here and then later became a member of the Nazarene Church, that was a definite public proclamation of exactly who I follow. And if that's religious, then so be it. You know, and I know that I'm spiritual, but I'm spiritual in that his spirit is in me. But a lot of people who say they're spiritual, they have no idea. Um, what knowing Jesus is all about. So, in your mind, in your definition, does being spiritual necessarily mean knowing God? Then there, later on, there was that new age 
So being a spiritual person, and I'm trying to just get an idea, I'll, I'll get to you in a second. Just get, a spiritual person is a um, seeker after the divine, but not necessarily identified with any particular religious faith group. Yes, sir. Okay. No, that's perfect. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm just soaking it in. I really am. Wyatt? I, I feel like uh, when someone is, calls themselves spiritual, they're, they're, sort of exper- well, they're sort of experiencing things about God, but ne- not necessarily the essence of God. Okay. Um, like, they may experience peace and tranquility and love for their fellow man, but they don't they don't know where it comes from. And uh, at the same time, uh, I know uh, there, there are some spiritual men, and, and, and there's, I feel like there's a difference between a spiritual Christian and a religious Christian. And a spiritual Christian is someone who still prays to Jesus and asks for forgiveness and everything. And what doesn't is non-denominational. You know, that's how I kind of view it. Whereas a religious Christian is, I'm Baptist and I'm proud, or I'm Nazarene and I'm proud. Okay. And in that sense, um, just for me personally, I consider myself a spiritual Christian. I mean, I'm so proud of this church, I still love it, but mm-hmm. I, I consider myself, I follow Jesus, and that's who I follow. Let me read to you. Um, this is, I have an iPad 
I have my, my notes here in front of me. I touch the word spiritual on my iPad and it brings up the option to define the word. And so this definition is out of the dictionary that's loaded onto my iPad. And I can't tell you the name of the dictionary. But it says spiritual means of or relating to or affecting the human spirit or soul as opposed to the material or the physical. It either is of, relates to, or affects the human spirit or the soul to say something is spiritual. It also can be that a person who identifies themselves as spiritual is not concerned with material values or pursuits. They're more concerned with spiritual things than material values or pursuits. Now, the reality is, at least from my perspective, when I talk with Wyatt, or I don't know your name, sir, Jesse, Jesse or Elsie, or Ruth, and you say you are a spiritual Christian, or you are a spiritual man or a spiritual woman, I have a sense and an understanding that we're coming from the same background. We may not have the same Christian heritage, but we are all based in the Bible, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, God the Father, Creator, all of that. But when Ms. Smith, who's sitting in the Wood Center at UAF, says to you, I'm a very spiritual person. What does that mean? That's what I asked them. What does that mean? And, and I would venture to say, it has a lot more to do with their own personal self and their own self-aggrandizement than it does any type of selflessness towards material and physical and only wanting what can affect their soul. I really don't think when you when you talk to the Joe Blow person in the street, and I'm not making fun, I'm just saying this is my perception. I don't think that they're talking about being deeply connected with God as much as they are just putting up a wall saying, I'm not religious and I don't want to be religious. I'm a very spiritual person. I'm open to anything spiritual, but don't talk to me about your spirituality. That's what I perceive is going on. It's a very selfish way of living your life. It's a way of saying, I'm okay with everyone, and everyone's okay with me, except don't try and push your stuff on me. have a coexist bumper sticker on there. <laughs> very possibly. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, I'm spiritual, I'm a good person. And it seems like, again, it's trying to defend who they are as a human being. And I'm not saying that I agree with the term spirituality or religion as good definers or monikers, because honestly, if I call myself religious, I don't know that that's necessarily a positive thing. I mean, if I'm in a group of Christians and I say I'm religious, even there I'm not so sure that it would be perceived in this culture in the, in the world in which we live today as being a positive as much as if I were to say I'm a very spiritual Christian. Which goes back to what Ruth was saying about 40 years ago when the, when the Jesus People movement started. This idea of I'm a very spiritual Christian as opposed to being a fake, religious, pharisaical person. Okay? I think there's lots of people who go to church who say their religion are religious Well, yes, yes. There is, in our history, in, in who we are as, as Christians, Nazarenes, we are what we call Wesleyan Arminian in our theology. Okay? John Wesley, who was the, the founder of the Methodist movement, um, who was uh, the, the evangelist that was 
almost solely responsible for a 70 plus year revival that took place all across the 1700s in England. He is quoted in his sermon called On Family Religion um, that he's talking about this idea of as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That was his, his text that he used when he wrote this sermon. And the main premise of his sermon was that each household needs to be intentional about passing on the, to the next generation the revival fires that these people were experiencing. And again, this, at this time of writing, it was only 50 years into a 70-year revival. Normally, revivals last only about a generation, which is about 20 to 30 years. This was an unusual outpouring of God's Holy Spirit. And his point is, unless there's intentionality on the part of the previous generation who's enjoying the, revolution, the, the, the revival, the revival fires will go out. It's historically proven. And it's an intentionality that's necessary. And he speaks as, a, as an eyewitness to this. And one of the things he says is, this intentionality must come through parents who are rearing their children in what he is calling the family religion. Some children, even so, are straying away from their faith. And they're literally walking away from everything that their family is teaching them. And as I was reading his sermon, I'm thinking... This was written in the 1770s? Because, oh my word, this sounds like it could be written in 2015. Here's a quote from his sermon. He said, Have we not already seen some of the unhappy consequences of good men's not adopting this resolution, he said, but he's talking about this faith. Is there not a great generation arisen, even within this period, and even from pious parents, that know not the Lord, that have neither his love in their hearts, nor his fear before their eyes. How many of them already despise their fathers and mock the counsel of their mothers? How many are utter strangers to real religion, to the life and power of it, and not have a few Excuse me, and not a few have shaken off all religion and abandoned themselves to all manner of wickedness. Now, although this may sometimes be the case, even if children educated in a pious manner, yet this case is very rare. I have met some, but not many instances of it, where wickedness of children is generally owing, I mean, excuse me, the wickedness of children is generally owing to the fault or neglect of the parents. For it is a general, though not universal rule, Though it admits of some exceptions, you must train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, Wesley speaks very harsh words, and his whole intent was to motivate the heads of the households who were listening to him to impart to their children. And he even went so far to say, if somebody's staying in your house and they're not living a Christian life and they're not going to church, kick them out. I mean, he literally said that in his sermon. And he wasn't talking just about family members. He was talking about servants. He was talking about... Uh, he was talking about visitors who were coming to your home. If they weren't willing to practice the religion of your house, get them out of your house. That was his words about being intentional. But these words could take us down a path that I'm not interested in looking at this morning. I want to look at this idea of him saying that there was such a thing as a real religion. And the quote that I, that I pulled out of it said, How many of these folks, these people who have rejected their teaching of their parents are utter strangers to real religion, to the life 
and power of it. And what I want to do for the next few minutes is I want to look at what this idea of real religion is. And what does it mean when Wesley says there is life in it and there's power in it? And if you are taking notes, I'll give you some of the scripture references. I'm going to be looking at a number of passages. The very first one, when I read this, this was actually me researching another scripture passage that I was thinking about preaching on. It was James 1.27. James 1.27, I'm reading out of the message, says, Real religion, the kind that passes muster before God, the Father, is this. Reach out to the homeless and loveless in their plight. And guard against corruption from the godless world. Let me read it to you one more time. This is out of the message, and I love the way it's, it reads. Real religion, the kind that passes muster before God the Father, is this. Reach out to the homeless and loveless in their plight, and guard against corruption from this godless world. Now, we tend to focus on the keeping ourselves pure part. I would venture to say that if I were to ask you what it means to be being a Christian, in, in other words, if we were playing a role play, and I said, I'm going to be the guy that says to you, I'm a very deeply spiritual person, but I'm not very religious. Let's engage conversation. And I said to you, uh, what does it mean to you to be a Christian? One of the things you would say to me, most likely, is, well, I get my sins forgiven through the blood of Jesus because he died a death on the cross and he was then raised to life and he's now seated at the right hand of the Father. And so that means I'm clean before God and I will always be clean before God. If I ever commit a sin, I can only ask for forgiveness through the blood of Christ and I'll always be clean before God. Is that not a, a, an orthodox statement that you would probably make to someone asking about what it means to be a Christian? I would venture to say to you, I would submit to you that the bulk of your religion is keeping your nose clean. Making sure that you stay holy and pure. So that you don't do anything that would cause other people to look at you and maybe cause God to get a bad name because you're not living right. Does any of that ring true? Is any of that how you have a worldview of Christianity? I need to make sure that I live in such a way that I bring glory to God and don't bring a bad name to God. So I need to focus on the way that I live and stay pure and clean and holy and literally separate myself from evil. Would that sound reasonable to you? I'm not saying it's not. I'm just asking. From your perspective, is that how you see your world? Your role in this world is... I, I, I would think so because when somebody says to you that I'm spiritual but I'm not religious, they won't. They won't pay any attention to what you have to say unless they see you as somebody who is, you know, uh, living an upstanding life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, so, so, so your word would mean nothing if you didn't set that example first. I was, as I told you, I was looking at James 1.27 as my text for my sermon. And I was just doing word searches and looking around in the Bible at different things. And I was really surprised at the number of verses that I came up with that dealt with the first part of James 127 that didn't deal so much with James, the second part of James 127, and that's the idea of ministering to the homeless, the loveless, the people that are struggling, the people that are down and out. Proverbs 31, 8 and 9 says, and again, I'm reading out of the, out of the message, speak up for the people who have no voice. 
for the rights of all the down and outers. Speak out for justice. Stand up for the poor and destitute. Proverbs 31. Psalm 72, verse 12. Because he rescues the poor at the first sign of need, the destitute who have run out of luck. That's talking about the way a king represents God as the defender of the poor and the needy. Job. I've read Job so many times, but I don't know that I've ever focused on this. I've always focused on Job's suffering. But Job 29, verses 11 to 17 say, People who knew me spoke well of me. My reputation went ahead of me, and I was known for helping people in trouble and standing up for those who were down on their luck. The dying blessed me. The bereaved were cheered by my visits. All my dealings with people were good, and I was known for being fair to everyone I met. I was eyes to the blind, feet to the lame, father to the needy, champion of abused aliens. I grabbed street thieves by the scruff of the neck and made them give back what they'd stolen. He's talking about how he lives out his faith in the world. And then I read this one from Isaiah chapter 1. Verses 10 to 17. And I had to go back and read it again. And I had to go to other translations because I really wanted this. just gripped me as I read it. Listen to my message, you Sodom schooled leaders. Receive God's revelation, you Gomorrah schooled people. Why this frenzy of sacrifices, God's asking. Don't you think I've had my fill of burnt sacrifices and ram and plump grain-fed calves? Don't you think I've had my fill of blood from bulls and lambs and goats? When you come before me, whoever gave you the idea of acting like this, running here and there and doing this and that and all this sheer commotion in the place provided for worship? Quit your worship charades. I can't Stand your trivial religious games. Monthly conferences, meetings, weekly Sabbaths, special meetings, 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 meetings. I can't stand one more. Meetings for this, meetings for that. I hate them. You have worn me out. I'm sick of your religion, 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 while you just go right on sinning. When you put on your next prayer performance... I'm going to be looking the other way. No matter how long or loud or often you pray, I am not going to be listening. And do you know why? Because you've been tearing people to pieces and your hands are bloody. Go home and wash up. Clean up your act. Sweep your lives clean of your evil doings so I don't have to look at them any longer. Say no to wrong. Learn to do good. Work for justice. Help the down and out. Stand up for the homeless. Go to bat for the defenseless. The bulk of my religion, my spirituality, I'm not talking about you guys, I'm talking about me. I've known Jesus Christ as my personal Savior since 1975. Do the numbers, it's 40 years this year. For the better part of 40 years, my focus has been staying away from sin, keeping myself clean in the eyes of God 
and in the eyes of the world. But if you read through the scriptures, it's not just that. It's ministering. It's reaching out to those that are down and out. It's showing the love of Christ to the people. We talked about this a number of weeks ago, Mother Teresa, and the idea of loving Jesus by loving them. I will tell you, and I'm, I'm, I'm being honest, not because there's anything wrong, but I want you to just know that I'm being flat out honest with you. I have become, for lack of a better word, sick of pastoring. It's not burnout by any stretch. But I'm sick of picking songs, singing six or seven songs on a Sunday morning, then we transition into a time of pastoral prayer where we have prayer with the congregation, Then we bring the children up and have a little bit of lesson with them and I pray with them. And then we have one of the kids take up the offering and then the kids come back and bring the offering and I sit here for 20 to 30 minutes talking to you and then you go home and completely forget about what I said because I forget about what I said, literally. I'm not not accusing you of anything. I'm just saying this is reality for me. I, I literally will, somebody will say to me, what did you preach on on Tuesday? You know, they'll ask me on Tuesday what I preached on on Sunday, and I'll go, let me think about that for a second. And then I'll have to go back to my notes. So, what I'm saying to you is this. If this is all my religion is, sitting with you for an hour and a half, once a week, singing some songs, praying a prayer, and listening to me talk for 30 minutes, I'm sick of it. This is not satisfying to me at all as a human being and as a Christian. Does this mean I don't want to do this? No. I love being a pastor. I love speaking the word of God. I love researching the word of God. I love praying. I love worshiping. But this is only part of what it means to have real religion, folks. Real religion, the other however many hundred hours a week, is out there reaching into the heart of the people that are hurting, that need the love of Christ. If you are, and this is, this is where I'm bringing my own definitions in, if you are truly going to be a spiritual Christian, then maybe you need to be out there with the people who need Christ instead of them here, feeling good about keeping yourself clean and being holy and honoring and worshiping God. Don't hear me chastising you. I'm not. Don't hear me saying I'm dissatisfied with anything you're doing. I'm not. I'm telling you, I'm not satisfied with my walk right now with God. And I have been intentional about changing that. Over the last two years, I have spent every Wednesday at the youth shelter, the homeless youth shelter, Not because I'm the pastor of this church, but because I'm a Christian who needs to minister to someone who needs help. And so I'm doing that. Not because I want to feel good. Not because, oh, I'm such a great person. But because it's helping me to express my love for God. And I'm giving giving me an opportunity to touch some lives of people who do not know God. 
Believe me, I've been in there, talked to them. There's a ton of them in there that don't know anything about God and don't want to have anything to do with God. They're spiritual, but not religious. And it takes time to cultivate relationship with these young people. And it's hard, because I'm fat, old, and they don't want to talk to me. They only see me once a week. I also have recently started doing food distribution in our community. Not to the hungry people of our community, not to the poor people of our community, to our community. Because I had a burden on my heart that God put there for months and finally it's come to fruition. And you know what's happening? I'm getting so many accolades and everyone's going, you're so wonderful, Bob, and we love you, and it's great, and you're a wonderful person, and you're such an asset in this community. I'm like, really? That's not what this is about, folks. I don't want to be held up and honored. I don't want to be told I'm a wonderful person. I want you to see Jesus. So I'm going to figure out a way to stop being in the limelight. Because that's not what this is about. I want to show these people the love of Jesus by bringing food into this community. I, there are people who are hurting that I know never even know their name in this community. There's 1,500 people who live out here. And do you know the ones that are hurting the most? Honestly, do you? Don't raise your hand. Don't say I do. Just think about it. If I, if I were to give you $1,000 right now and say, go give it to the neediest person you know, who would you give it to? Myself. I want us to reach the point as a church, as a congregation, where we are living lives of pure, honest faithfulness to the Lord God, walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, but living, our, living it out there. I was talking with, with Mary Lee Bates, who was the executive director of the youth shelter the other night, and I said to her that it's in the, only in the last two, two and a half years that God has really been making this change in my heart. Um, I never saw being worried about the down and out, bringing justice to the world, as a Christian or spiritual requirement of being a Christian. I never did. But in the last two and a half years, it's been in my face. It is not just about being clean. It is about getting into the dirty parts of the world and not letting it corrupt you. While you bring the love of Christ out there. While you minister to that need, whatever that need is that's presented before you. And I, using the words of Wesley, it takes intentionality on our part to make sure that we're passing on this faith. And so I want to leave you with just this one last thought. It comes from Proverbs chapter 24, verses 11 and 12. And again, it comes from the message. Rescue the perishing. Don't hesitate to step in and help. If you say, hey, that's none of my business, will that get you off the hook? Someone is watching you closely, you know. Someone not impressed with weak excuses. Let's pray.